Hello, everyone, and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 109. Have you ever said anything that you wish you could take back? Yeah, well, we have, right? (laughs) And today we're going to be looking at uh, Zachariah. We're actually going to be starting to talk now about the Christmas narratives since we're in the season. It is Advent 3. And uh, I want to talk to you today about uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth, who are a part of the Christmas story. Now, we don't hear about them that often. We hear about Mary, we hear about Joseph and the wise men and everything else. But actually, Zachariah and Elizabeth are a very, very important part of the whole story. And Zachariah and Elizabeth are the parents of John the Baptist. So I have a text today where basically it's a really short text. It's in Luke. And we find Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, visiting Mary, Jesus' mother. And this is before the babies are born. So both of these women are waiting for their children to be born. That's where we're picking up the Christmas story. And these women share a lot in common, which I suppose is why Mary goes to visit Elizabeth in the first place, a relative. I mean, who can Mary speak to? Who is going to understand? Both Elizabeth and Mary are the two most unlikely women chosen by God to accomplish God's purpose in the world. But they have something in common. They've both had a visit from Gabriel. Both of them have husbands who initially, when they find out about the baby, can't believe this is from God. Now, the the men can't believe for different reasons, but they're similar and steadfast, and you've got to be kidding me, this this is definitely not from God. Both of these women, Elizabeth and Mary, are totally convinced their babies are a gift from God because each in their own different, for their own different reasons know this could never, ever have come about without God's help. Now, Elizabeth would say the reason that she never expected to have a child is simply because she's too old. Elizabeth and Zechariah would say, there's no way we're going to have children. We are just too old. Now, for those of you who know a little bit about these uh, biblical texts, who does that remind you of? Centuries earlier, there was another couple who said the same thing. And that would be Abraham and Sarah. Remember, way, way back, 18th centuries earlier, Abram and Sarah have a similar pattern. They long for a son. They can't have one. Uh, God comes into the picture and tells Sarah she will, in fact, have a son. She just laughs because there's no way she can have children at this late stage in her life. So, again, we have this story. Old couple, not possible to have a child. All hope is gone. God enters the story, you're having a child, and what's more, God says to Abram and Sarah, 
your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. Now, why am I even telling you about Abram and Sarah? Because, and this is so amazingly wonderful, because Matthew begins, the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew begins his Christmas story with the genealogy of the baby Jesus. And he begins his whole book of Matthew with a long genealogy of you know, who begat who and who begat who. And Abraham and Sarah were in that descendants line. So what it means is because Abraham and Sarah is Jesus' great, 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 many, many, great ancestor. It's like, it's a kind of a very creative way that Matthew's saying, remember that promise 1800 years ago? Remember that promise to Abram and Sarah? Remember God said that they would have a child, even though it was impossible. They did have a child, and it was Isaac. And then Isaac had a child, and so forth and so on. Remember the promise that from the nation of Israel, one would come that would be a world changer. Well, guess what? That one is born. And that one is called Jesus. It's the whole idea that God keeps, always God keeps God's promises. This is the promised one. This is the promised one. That's how Matthew starts his his whole Christmas story. Now, before Jesus, just a matter of months before Jesus is born, cousin John the Baptist is born. And John is born for a particular reason and task. His task is, he has to, when he grows up, he has to get people ready to receive all that Jesus has for them. In other words, it's like there's got to be a lot of preparation here. And we looked last week at what that preparation looks like. It just looks like being incredibly open to something new. And that really was John's task. But before we get to John, I want to tell you about his parents because his, this is one of the most humorous stories in the New Testament. And his father, Zechariah, was, the text tells us, was a righteous man, which means that in his, at his heart of hearts, he really wanted to do the right thing. He wanted to live a right uh, uh, life before people and God. You know how there's some folk that are just like that. They're just good people, you know, and they want to do the right thing. They want to be right as best they can before other people, and they want to be right before God, righteous. That's what it is. He's not perfect. There's no no perfect people in the scripture. Um, Well, perfect as in, you know, without any flaws at all. Everybody's human. So, but Zechariah, he was a priest, and it had been, had been uh, a prayer that he would have a child. However, Elizabeth, the wife, is now well into midlife, and it is absolutely out of the question. There's no time left. There's no more opportunity. 
So I presume they've come to terms with that disappointment. The story is picked up where Zechariah is, one day he's serving in the temple in Jerusalem. It's kind of a high point in a priest's life to serve in the, the innermost sanctuary of this massive, incredible temple. He's standing before the great altar where he would light the sweet-smelling frankincense. And all that nice smoke would go up, symbolic of the prayers of God's people. And while he's in this holy space, suddenly Gabriel appears on the right-hand side of the altar, Luke tells us. And Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, will have a son, and he's going to be great in the sight of God. And I want you to call him John because he's going to get people ready to receive Jesus. Now, unlike Mary, Jesus' mother, that we'll look at next week, who does not resist God's plan for her life, Zechariah's response is, Gabriel says, you're going to have a child. Zechariah's response is, I don't think that's going to happen. We're way too old. It's not going to happen. And if it is going to happen, then you're going to have to prove it to me somehow. If what you're saying is absolutely true, you're going to have to give me some proof. I mean, if you'd come 30 years ago, fair enough. But now I need proof. And Gabriel, the angel says, "Uh, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and you're asking me for a sign? It's like Gabriel's saying, you're kidding me. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? It's like, what more do you need? I'm a messenger from God. I've been sent here to give you the good news about John, the new baby. Well, Zechariah can't receive this good news. And Gabriel says, okay, here's your sign. I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to speak until the baby's born. And from that point on, Zechariah is mute and he cannot utter a word. It's like, wow. Outside the temple, the people are thinking, what in the world happened to Zechariah? It's been so long. I wonder what's going on in there. I wonder what's happened. And when Zechariah does appear, he can't tell them really what happened because he can't speak. So he tries to sign language the best he can to explain what happened. Because just as the angel said, I mean, he can't speak. He went home. He told Elizabeth, furiously writing notes to Elizabeth, telling Elizabeth what had happened. And sure enough, as Gabriel said, nine months later, a child is born. So basically, Zechariah lost his ability to speak for nine months. It was only after John was born that he could once again speak. So he's, so he's plunged into this time of forced silence, completely loses control of his life. His circumstances work in such a way that he loses all ability to organize his life. All he can do is write notes. Presumably, that's it. I mean, it must have been so frustrating 
for a man who liked to be in control, right? I mean, that's Zachariah. He likes to be in control. He's trying to control his life. He's trying to tell Gabriel how things need to work out. He's asking Gabriel for proof. He didn't get the kind of proof he was hoping for. All in all, Zachariah is a man who really has come to terms with the fact that he can't control his life. He can't get Gabriel to do what he wants him to do. He can't receive the promise that he'll have a son, even though it's good news, because it's too impractical in his mind. It's not going to happen. So, yeah, if you have trouble trusting God, you're in good company here. Zechariah has trouble trusting that God knows what God is doing. I mean, how common is that? How common is that? How common is it to resist the way things are turning out and to fight against what is? It's like, I don't like this. And I'm going to try and change it. And I'm going to put a lot of energy into it. And I'm going to try and control people. And if I have to manipulate people, then I'll do that. If I have to lie, then I'll do that. If I have to go inside, I'll do whatever I need to do to control this. Well, yes, it's, it's hard because at its core, that's about a lack of trust in God. And this is the position that Zachariah is in. You know, and in many ways, the shame of it is it robs him of his joy. He doesn't have any time to rejoice in the fact that his prayers have been answered because he doesn't even believe that they're going to be answered. It's like Zechariah can't enjoy what he has, right? He's got the promise of this baby. He can't enjoy what he has because he's too busy concentrating on how things are not working out. He's too busy concentrating on looking at all the things in his life that he wants changed. I mean, how common is that? He can't enjoy what he has because he's focusing on what isn't going according to his plan. Yeah, it's a sad situation and it's so very common for us, right? Because there's the Zachariah in all of us. Well, you know, fast forward with the story is, is that John, nine months later, is born after Gabriel promised. But in, really, it has very, very little to do with Zechariah. I mean, the promise is coming because God's faith, faithful, not because Zechariah believed. The baby comes because God worked with Zechariah in spite of his unbelief. It's like, look, this is happening. Whether you believe it or not, this is the way it's going to be. That's what Gabriel's saying, basically. Zechariah had a choice. He could believe Gabriel or not. Like, it's like either way, God's going to do what God's going to do. God's going to do what God has planned. Now, had Zechariah believed and not resisted, I think he would have been far happier it would have been a much more pleasant, more joyful nine months before John was born. But, you know, the promise of John will come to pass with or without Zachariah's belief, which is quite a remarkable thought when you think about it, right? Same for Abraham and Sarah. Centuries and centuries earlier, it's the same theme, same pattern. They couldn't delight in the promise of their son 
Isaac because they couldn't figure out how it would all work out. So they put a lot of unnecessary time and energy plotting and figuring and planning, basically attempting to control people and circumstances around them that they couldn't really control. And, and Zechariah did, the, and by the way, with Abram and Sarah, a lot of people got hurt in the process, as is usually the case, including ourselves. And Zechariah did the same thing. I need proof, again, trying to manipulate and guide Gabriel to his way of doing things. But a curious thing happened after nine months of enforced silence because, you know, when you're out of control for nine months, you have a lot of time to reflect. You have a lot of time to be quiet. Zachariah has a lot of time to be still and he's stopped talking. And after John's born, the first words that come out of his mouth. Actually, it's a song. We call it the Benedictus, the song of blessing. It's, uh, it's in Luke, last section of Luke, chapter one. The first words that come out of his mouth after this long silence says, oh, praise God, God keeps his promises. Praise God. And Zechariah says, and, and remember what he promised Abraham and Sarah? Well, yeah, it came to pass. Because... God promised Abram and Sarah a child and one of the ancestors would end up blessing the whole earth. And now John's been born and he's going to prepare the way for the promised one. My child, John, he says, you, my child, shall be a prophet of the Most High and you'll prepare the way. And then the longed for promised one Jesus the Redeemer comes. It's like Zachariah saying, I'm seeing the whole picture now. It's like I'm, 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 I'm catching a glimpse of what God's doing. I'm looking way, way back to the beginning. I'm looking way back, a couple thousand years, and I'm, I'm thinking, God's faithful. Not because Abraham was faithful, not because Sarah was, or Isaac, or anybody else, or me, <laughs> Zachariah is saying. Even when we don't understand, even when we don't believe, even when we can't see what's going on, even when we doubt, or even when we laugh in unbelief like Sarah, or even when we need proof like Zechariah, or even when we think it is impossible like Sarah and Zechariah, it's like, yeah, well, it's not all about you, right? That's what the text is saying. It's not all about me. It's not all about us getting it right. That's for sure. Zechariah would say, I, I learned the hard way. I learned the hard way. The tender mercy of God will work things out and did work things out for me. Yeah, I learned the hard way. I think Sarah would have said the same thing. I learned the hard way. Boy, I put so much time and energy into trying to manipulate and figure things out and coerce people and force people. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. Well, if it's all up to God and God will do what God wants to do, uh, can't I mess things up? I mean, can't I get in the way and really mess things up? Well, yes and no. 
Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that we can cause ourselves a lot of unnecessary anxiety and worry and pain and grief and broken relationships. You know, we, we, we can resist God's will for us, right? We can, we can refuse to participate. If, it's like if God says, look, I want, to, I want to teach you how to forgive. And you say, well, I don't want to do that. Well, okay, then you can live and not forgive. But that has a price, right? That has a price. So, yes, we can mess things up for ourselves. We can mess things up for our families. We can cause people a lot of pain and suffering. But I think it's safe to say we can't stop God. We don't have that kind of power. <laughs> we don't have that kind of influence. Yeah, Zechariah would say, well, yeah, I caused myself a lot of trouble, but I never stopped God. Abram would say the same thing. Sarah would say the same thing. It's the tender mercy of God that gets the last word. It's like God's faithful. God is faithful. Our life's task is learning how to release ourselves into that kind of rest. I mean, that's the real joy of the world, right? I mean, that's really what Christmas is about. It's like, yeah, you know what? God's faithful, even when I'm not. Even when I'm not, even when I get in the way, even when I mess up, you know, God remains the same. Always, always working in the background. Yeah, it's, um, it's a, from this beginning, the first book of the Bible to the very last, it's just one huge, big, massive healing story. It gets broken in the first couple chapters, and if you look at the end of the book, that's all it is. It's redemption, it's healing, it's this whole idea. There is nothing that messed up and broken that God cannot make new. And, you know, when we look at our world, it's so hard to get our heads and hearts around that, isn't it? It's so hard because all we see from our perspective and our tiny little point in history is chaos and suffering and messiness and distress, right? That's what we see. Or sometimes we're, we're more aware of it than others, right? Sometimes we're going through our lives and we, we're sensitive toward the plight of other people who are really struggling, and nations who are struggling. Because we only see a very small point in history, but God is always moving toward the end of the story, which has already been written. Behold, I make all things new. It's like, oh, there's the prayer, there's the heart cry. God, help me to catch a glimpse of that, just as Zechariah did. Help me to learn to rest in you and live by the tender mercy of God. Well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week for another episode.